If you are able this morning, I invite you to take your Bible one more time and stand with me as we read our text from Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. And we will be reading verse 6 through 10. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version this morning. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6 through 10. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. May the Lord add his richest blessing to the reading of his word this morning. You may be seated. Through the millennia of world history, leaders have... Leaders have styled themselves or their kingdoms in recognizable ways. For example, if I were to show you a picture of a Roman soldier or a Colosseum, you would know what empire it belonged to. Or an Egyptian chariot or a pyramid. A German soldier's helmet or a Nazi symbol. An emperor's wreath or any other number of items would be easy to guess. Those of my generation and older will long remember the former Soviet president, Mikhail Gorbachev. And the part that he played in the collapse of the Soviet Union. I was speaking with one of our visitors this morning and I made the comment that uh, those who uh, served or those who knew September the 11th, which is a representative next year or next, next week, September the 11th, that was 21 years ago. For those of you who who were alive and old enough, you probably remember exactly where you were standing when that took place. I could tell you the exact place on the floor where I was standing in the house that we were at. Many of you will remember Mikhail Gorbachev and you'll remember the wall coming down in places like Berlin. Like all former empires, the USSR and her leaders were recognizable. Whether it was Red Square, the hammer and sickle on a red flag, whatever it was, people knew and feared the USSR. History records that Gorbachev was actually baptized as an infant into the Russian Orthodox Church, and his maternal grandparents from Ukraine were actually true believers. But Gorbachev proclaimed in 2008 that he was an atheist or one who denies God. This last week, Gorbachev breathed his last and went into eternity. His time ended, 
and his body will now decay into the dust of the ground until the final resurrection. Unlike Gorbachev, Stalin, Hitler, Caesars, Nebuchadnezzar, the pharaohs, whose bodies still remain in the ground, this morning I want you to know that our lamb lives. We concluded our last message by noting the rightful owner has conquered over all. The victory has already been announced and nobody can stop him. Nothing can stop him. The Savior has the right to open the scroll and the seals and the scroll portrays redemption and the seals are the opening and the unleashing of the judgments that we will get into later in this book. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers from England in the mid to late 1800s said this, This is no unauthorized Savior. He is no amateur deliverer. He is an ambassador clothed with unbounded power from the great King, a Redeemer with full credentials from the Father. End quote. It is this glorious, spotless lamb that we speak of this morning as we consider three aspects. And these three aspects will direct our hearts in worship as we prepare to hear the song of the lamb. I believe that this song will be the culmination of all of the troubles of true believers. For the lamb who was slain has conquered death, hell, and the grave. So this morning I would direct your attention back to verse 6 where we find the standing lamb. I beheld and lo I beheld or I saw. In this term I beheld it means to perceive with the eyes or to turn the eyes towards something. It is what John the Baptist means when Jesus comes walking across the hills of Judea and John the Baptist proclaims, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, pay attention, turn your eyes towards this because it's important for you to see, to know who this is. I beheld. Have you beheld the Lamb of God this morning? You see, we come and some of your versions that you are using this morning may say, and lo, or there's some kind of an exclamation here. And this is an imperative word. It's not used in all translations. But it bids you as the reader or the hearer to attend to what is being said. This is the challenge that we have to you today, is that you will take the time to consider the Lamb and that you will also do something with what you learn. This is what these two phrases together mean. To behold and lo, or do something about it. You see, there are many people who come to church on a Sunday. There are some people that may come to church on a Wednesday, or on a Sunday night, and a Sunday morning. You may come every single time that the doors are open. And you can listen and you can hear the scriptures being read. You can hear the songs of Zion being sung and yet do nothing about what God requires us to do. So this morning we are to behold. I want you to perceive with your eyes. Now we understand that the Holy Spirit is going to draw men unto the Savior. And you cannot understand what I'm sharing. It it may just be like I'm speaking Greek to you or Spanish or some other language. And if you don't understand, it is because you need the Holy Spirit to be able to regenerate your heart. 
There are many who think that they are a believer. There, there are many who would avoid passages like Revelation chapter 5 or maybe even all of the book of Revelation because they are afraid of what it brings. And yet when we first spoke of Revelation and we entered into this beautiful, wonderful book, I encouraged you, if you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, your heart should rejoice in what is coming. You say, even in the judgments? Absolutely. Because God himself, when the judgment comes, it will be a righteous judgment. It will be a just judgment. It will be a judgment that is deserved by those who have failed to place their faith in Jesus Christ alone. So behold this morning and attend to what is being said. Between the throne and the four living creatures, can you imagine this scene that John is setting here? In the middle of heaven stands a throne on which sits God the Father. Around the throne we find these living creatures and the four and twenty elders who are sitting on thrones. And we have already learned in chapter 4 what happens to these elders. They get down off their thrones and they bow and fall prostrate before the king of kings. Around this throne, these 424 elders that I believe represent the church of the living God, of all of those who have, as a representative of those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, not based on any religion, not based on any creed, but based solely on the word of God. And yet closer to the throne than the elders, we see something not previously seen in Revelation it's mentioned many times in the Old Testament, and that is a lamb. We know right from the very beginning that in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve decided that they were going to rebel against the Most High God, and because they wanted to believe the lie that Satan gave them, did God really say this? And they believe this, and so they fall, and, and no longer will God come down and walk with them in the cool of the evening. Now God has to come down, and death is introduced to the world. And a lamb has to be killed. We are told in the book of Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And the lamb that was killed would be a representative. And if you can imagine, I mean, even Solomon during his time when he, when he consecrates the temple and the glory of God so fills the place that the, the priest can't even go into the temple. It's so great. Do you remember how many were killed? Tens of thousands of animals were killed just by Solomon. So for all of earth's history, God has required a lamb be sacrificed. But one day, a lamb came. The lamb. The title of lamb is only used four times in the New Testament until we get to the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation alone, the title of Lamb or the name Lamb is given 27 times in 25 verses in 11 chapters out of 22. Every one of these times is speaking about the Lamb who is Jesus Christ. So between the throne of God the Father and these elders are these living creatures, these four living creatures, we find that he is among the elders. And among the elders stands the lamb. 
First Peter chapter 5 tells us and reminds those of us who serve in a capacity as an elder or as a pastor of a church that we have a great high priest and we have a great high shepherd. We're called to be subservants to him, to the master. And here we find that there is no misunderstanding about the sovereignty and the supremacy of Jesus Christ in relation to the role of, or in relation to the Father. The role of the Lamb can be seen in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. For in Him, in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You see, when the Lord Jesus Christ came, He wasn't just a good person, He wasn't just another prophet. He was the great high prophet. He was the great high priest. He was the great high king. We see the throne here and this simply represents the divine power that belongs to Jesus Christ. Every person I was speaking with Al after the service and, and there, there are times when we look at the scriptures and you look at a passage and you see, for example, King Nebuchadnezzar and then the next king that you read of is, is King Belshazzar where there were, there were actually, these are just kind of the high points because there were actually three or four usurpers to the throne of Babylon between the time of Nebuchadnezzar and the time of Belshazzar who was actually second in command. He wasn't actually the king. He was a co-regent with his father, King Nabonidus. But with the Lord Jesus Christ, he is not a usurper to the throne. From before time began, he was and recognized that he was the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes to this earth and he is growing up and he is growing in wisdom and stature and he goes for three and a half years in his earthly ministry and he gets to the, and he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, he was not looking for a way out. There was no plan B with Jesus Christ. There was one plan and it involved death. Jesus Christ came to die. He came to give his life a ransom for many. We find that these creatures, again, as we have spoken about it, we're not going to go over it again. They are available online. If you are interested at sermonaudio.com, we do have our church website on there or the sermons that are on there. But these creatures represent the glory of God's creation to the entire earth. Now, I don't know about you, but I like watching shows like National Geographic. Watching things like, anybody here ever seen Blue Planet? Okay, or Planet Earth? What an incredible series. I, mean, I don't even know how they got some of those video pictures. But there they are. And for the world to be able to see the splendor and the wonder. And yet, the Bible says that God uses the earth as his footstool. I mean, this is, this is all we've got. We've not been to another planet. We've not been to a, another universe. And they can plan all they want to and they can try to find life on other planets, but God created one planet, planet Earth, for His glory and for our enjoyment. But in the midst of this, if you will imagine with me, in the middle of the throne, in the middle of heaven, where all of the eyes of the creatures, these living creatures, and all of the elders are all focused, there is a lamb that stands. What a glorious picture that the ungodly cannot see. 
Unless the Holy Spirit draws your heart, you will never be able to appreciate the songs of Zion like Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound that saved a wretch like me. Because if you don't think that you are a wretch, then Jesus Christ did not come to save you. He came to save the wicked. He came to save the lost. But here is the Lamb who stands, although He has died and was buried. John is clear that the Lamb who had to die has come back to life through the resurrection. He didn't stay in the tomb. You can go to the tomb today if you've ever been to Israel and you can go and you will walk in and they can shut the door behind you and engraved in a plaque on the inside of that door says, He is not here. He is risen. No other tomb, no other king can say that. Not too long ago I was watching a a documentary on the very first emperor of China. And this was like I don't remember, it was somewhere around, I think, six or 700 A.D. And in this, they were talking about the possibility that he was buried in this one particular tomb. And, and, and in the tomb, he actually had it filled with a river of mercury that flows around his tomb so that nobody could get to him. And the goal was, through his, through his physicians, they would actually give him little balls that were made up of lead and mercury. Now those of you who know anything about mercury know what mercury is going to do to you, which is what? Kill you. And so the first emperor of China did not actually live to be a great old age. He continued to swallow these at times up to eight of these little mercury and lead balls every single day because he was told by his physicians that it would prolong his life and the one thing that he believed he didn't have was immortality. And the one thing that he wanted eluded him. And he ended up dying. This lamb is standing as though it had been slain. This lamb suffered innocently and died to atone for the sins of mankind. And the verb tense here is an aorist tense. And that simply means in English an action that is once and for all time. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ was not going to have to die more than once. One time. That was all that was needed. This action of being slain is something that would never be repeated for the sacrifice of God cannot and will not ever need to be repeated. So this picture of a lamb that is standing there as though it had been slain. And we are not told, but we can safely assume here from other passages of Scripture that this lamb it is standing there and it still he still has the marks of the crucifixion in his hands. The creatures, the four and the 24 elders, they know that this is the lamb. They know that this is the one who has been killed or who was killed and who now has not only been resurrected but has been taken up to be with the Father where he stands at the right hand of God. John then mentions, he says, there are seven horns or this lamb has seven horns and seven eyes. Listen to me, in, in, throughout the Bible we find that the evil one, every time something good is presented or created by God, the evil one does what? Tries to duplicate it, but with evil intent. 
So we'll actually find later on in the book of Revelation, we find the Antichrist actually has a kingdom that has ten horns, seven main horns, and three little horns. Seven is the number of perfection throughout Scripture, and we now find that in the contract to the horns, or in contrast to the horns of the Antichrist, the Lamb has perfect power to execute the Father's will and the perfect wisdom to understand that will. What does he say? I came to do the will of my Father. These seven horns are a symbol of absolute military power, while the seven eyes remind us that God sees all. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. The eyes of this lamb as he is standing there remind us of the wise and watchful providence that Christ has for his bride. Do not forget that one day the Lord Jesus Christ will return for his bride. He will come back for a bride who has made herself ready. We see here the spirit that is given without measure, the seven spirits of God. Again, the number is used not to indicate that there are seven Holy Spirits, but to show that the Holy Spirit of God is present in the triune God. And here we see the Spirit given without measure in all perfection of light and life and power. It is this Spirit that is given to all true believers so that they may never perish. In the watchful eyes of God, he warns us, though, against the enemies. We've already seen this in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. We find that the church has enemies. If you're, all of your friends are friends of the world, if they don't care for you, if they don't care for the Lord Jesus Christ, if they don't love you, you're going to struggle in your Christian walk. This is really an encouragement to us that we can know that the Holy Spirit of God lives within us. So even on the days and the weeks and the months when we may be not living in a way that is pleasing to the Most High, we know that the Holy Spirit guides us in all truth. He changes us. We become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the question you need to ask yourself. Have I changed? Have you changed? You see... At the end of this verse, in verse 6, we find that the Holy Spirit has been sent out into all of the earth. The Holy Spirit is on a mission. He was not just sent to comfort and to guide us in all truth. He was sent to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and the coming judgment. This is the message that is given over and over throughout the scriptures. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Beware of the wrath of God. This is why the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the scriptures, throughout his ministry, and we are told even throughout the rest of the New Testament, today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Here's the application from this verse. This lamb is no mere worldling who is simply a good or even a great moral person. He is not just any world leader who has come and gone. This is the only one who is good. He is the only one who has the right to stand in heaven while all the glory is given to him by every other creature. The Bible is clear in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, that one day every knee will bow and confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no question, there should be no question, or no misunderstanding whatsoever. Every knee. In fact, it will be the greatest double cross in all of history when the evil one himself, old Slewfoot, has to bow his knee and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. call to you today is to bow today you will still bow one day you will either bow before him as your savior or you will bow before him as your judge confess him as lord giving all to him as the holy spirit changes your life day by day secondly we not only find the standing lamb but we find the scroll of the lamb in verse 7 he went and took the scroll. The word here indicates one who is about to do something and who must necessarily come to that place in order to be able to make it happen. We talk about God ascending on high and God the Son as he was here and he later gets taken up and the angels are standing by the men as they are gazing up into heaven and the angels tell them, do you not understand this same Jesus who went away? Who is taken away from you? What's going to happen? He's going to come back just the way he left in bodily, physical, visible form. The entire world, though, will see him when he returns. So he goes, and this is the same verb that is being used here. He is about to do something. In other words, pay attention. And he takes the scroll. This simply means to lay hold of with a hand. He reaches out and he takes from God the Father. How many of you know the story of Excalibur? Not more of you don't. King Arthur? Yeah, there we go. All right. Several of you know the story of King Arthur. And so there was a sword that was supposedly put in a stone, and there's only one person who can take that stone, that sword out. And it ends up being King Arthur. And he pulls that out because he is supposedly in the story, in the fable, he is worthy to be able to do it. Nobody else can come. And it doesn't look like anything special. It doesn't, there's nothing here to indicate, you know, trumpets blaring and, and, and all of the media and the news outlets are there and they're all writing down their notes, you know, who's going to take this out today? No, there was one person. And with even greater understanding, we find that Christ not only has the authority to take the scroll, but he's actually been appointed by the Father to do it. You see, there are many false cults and false religions in the world today and there are many of them who even say there are many people right around your neighborhood. You may even have family and relatives who believe that Jesus Christ is simply one of many gods. They're wrong. You may have friends and relatives who believe that, that, that Jesus Christ had one of many plans of salvation and his just happened to be the one that was accepted because he's the brother of Satan. They're wrong. Because we learn from Scripture that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. He takes the scroll from the Father's right hand and Jesus said in the Great Commission that how much authority was given to Him? All authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. 
And as time draws to an end in this vision that John has in Revelation, we find that the full power that resides in Jesus Christ, John is able to see. What an, what an incredible picture. If you look earlier, and I believe it's Matthew chapter 17, what do we find at the transfiguration? We find only three of the disciples got to see that much glory. They get up to the mountain, they stand there, as the, as, the, as the clouds begin to dissipate, we find that, that Elijah representing the prophets and Moses representing the law are standing there with the Lord Jesus Christ. And they say, you know, it's great to be here. Oh, Peter, sticking his foot in his mouth again. And he says, you know, it's great for us to be here, but maybe we should just build a temple for each one of you or a tabernacle to be able to worship. And a cloud comes back down and overshadows them and a voice from heaven that says, hear my son. Pay attention to him. A greater than the prophets have come. A greater than Moses and the law has come. And the Bible says that when they lifted up their eyes, they saw Jesus only. Think about the Apostle John. This is a man who has already spent time in a boiling pot of oil that didn't kill him. He's probably disfigured over his entire body. This probably has created additional issues for him health-wise. And yet here he is on the Isle of Patmos for six days a week. He's probably breaking rocks like every other political prisoner did. And yet he doesn't care one bit about the Caesar. He only cares about seeing Jesus. Not only is Jesus Christ standing and receiving worship, but we find that he is going to pour out his wrath upon the world. And I can't imagine what John must have thought of as he begins to see these golden bowls and these censers that are full of the incense, the prayers of the saints. And later on, in, in later chapters, we're going to find out that these shallow bowls are washed out across the earth. And it will literally become like hell on earth, but it won't be that bad. Because hell is going to be worse. This one who is seated on the throne, regardless of what the evil one thinks, one of the hymns that I like singing and we have sung in the past, this truly is my father's world. I rest secure in him. We can't worry, and if you're worried and you're troubled in your heart and in your mind about what's going on in the world, if you're concerned and troubled about all of the current events and, and COVID and, and this and that and the vaccines and no vaccines or politics, and you get up on November 6th and your world is just shattered because the right person didn't win in your estimation, give it to God. Trust Him, knowing that He puts up one, puts down another. We learned this morning from the book of Daniel. God allowed the Babylonians, he even warned the Babylonians, or warned the, the children of Judah, you need to understand, Babylon is coming. If you don't follow me, if you don't shape up, if you don't correct your ways, I am going to send the Babylonians and they are going to come and they are going to completely destroy you. What do the children of Israel do? Whatever. Jeremiah. I can understand why he wept. Jeremiah comes and he tells them over and over, don't do this, don't do that. Children of Israel, whatever. And then the Babylonians come and in this little bit of respite here between the time the Babylonians come back a second time, the, the, the people who are left there, they say, well, we're going to go down to Egypt because Egypt will protect us. And Jeremiah says, you better not go. 
you're going to die down there in the land. They're going to take everything. The Babylonians are going to march past Israel. They're going to come all the way down in Egypt and they're going to take you from there. What did the children of Judah do? Yawned. We don't believe you. We're going to throw you in a pit. We're going to leave you there to die. And they go down and what God promised would take place is exactly what happened. Regardless of the evil machinations of world leaders, only one reigns over all. It is our God and we, you and I, must be prepared to meet him. To apply this verse, the scroll of the Lamb, he, he goes and he has taken this scroll. Here's where you really need to pay attention, especially if you are visiting this morning. If you have never placed your faith in the one who has all power, then as the psalmist says, kiss the son lest he be angry, you should tremble before the Lamb of God. You should be afraid if your heart is not right with him, if you do not know for certain that you are going to be with him for all of eternity and that he is your savior, then you should be concerned. You should be seeking his face and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. John chapter 3, verse 36 reminds the reader, the wrath of God abides on all believers. The wrath of God already abides on you today if you're not saved. There's nothing that you can do to change that apart from the Holy Spirit coming and changing your life, making you a brand new creation. Which is why we can come thirdly to the worship of the Lamb in verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints when he had taken the scroll. We note that not only is he the one who is worthy to take the scroll, but we find that he is the only one who is worthy. No other person in heaven, no other person on earth has the rights that Christ does. No other person is as immeasurable as the Savior. No other person is allowed the right to extend judgment. No other person has the right to demand our worship. No other person can question him as Job says and ask him, why are you doing this? These creatures and the 24 elders, they fall down here and the phrase indicates humility and it simply means to lie stretched on the ground face down in worship. I believe that I believe that in our not just in our ministry but in our church I think that there is there is a familiarity sometimes that we tend to get with God that does not show our reverence. This last week Mike and I had the privilege of being able to go down to um, the Institute of Expository Preaching with Dr. Steve Lawson and Ligonier Ministries. I really wish I could have taken every one of you. 
it was overwhelming. It was like drinking from a fire hose. But one of the things that I realized, the more I heard from him, and it wasn't him trying to tell us or any other church or any other pastor what to do or how to do it. I, if I could sum it up, and I've, I've said this to a couple of people, if I could sum it up into one phrase, it would be this. The entire conference was about the supremacy of the pulpit. It's not about me. It's not about you if you take the pulpit. If you have the opportunity to be able to teach, it's not about you. It's about the Lamb. There are times we come into church and and I'm sharing these things because I believe it's important and because I've been there. There are times I believe that we come into church and we are just not prepared for worship. He gave this illustration and I would like to use it this morning with you or to share with you. He said that from the time that he's, and he's 71 years old, from the time he was little, he said he can remember his dad coming in on a Saturday night and he would go to his closet and he would get out his underwear and he'd lay it out on a chair. And then he would go to his closet where his hang-up clothes are and he would get a pair of trousers and he would get a shirt. And then they would go and together they would go to the ironing board and they would turn it on and his dad taught him how to iron his clothes. He said and then they would go back into the room and they would hang his clothes up ready for Sunday and then he would take his shoes and they would go back into the kitchen and they would get the, 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 the polish and they would get the brushes out and they would polish the shoes. And he said, I want you to understand something. He said, this, this isn't about whether you wear a creased shirt or not on a Sunday. This isn't about whether you polish your shoes on a Sunday. He said, but what my dad was showing me is we didn't do this on Sunday night. We didn't do it on Monday night or Tuesday night or Wednesday night. Thursday night or Friday night. We did it on Saturday night. And you know what I learned? That Sunday was coming and Sunday was important. I have encouraged you in the past that when we come to church, how you're prepared to worship, how you're prepared to sing the songs of Zion, how you're prepared to, to receive the prayers that we offer before the Lord, when we do all of those things, if your heart has not been worshiping God Monday through Saturday, you're not going to be prepared for Sunday morning. And my encouragement isn't that we all go down and find ourselves at Walmart this afternoon buying an iron and an ironing board. The point that I'm trying to make is this. If we come to service, let's come for the purposes of worshiping the King of Kings. This is not a three-ring circus. With that being said, I would extend to you an apology if there is any time during my ministry here that I have not taken as serious or it has not come across that I have been as serious with this pulpit as what I should be. The pulpit is not a laughing matter. I will give account and every minister who ever teaches or preaches, whether you're teaching the young people downstairs, whether you're teaching in the children's church, you are responsible for God, to God, for every word that you give. These creatures fall down in worship 
There are times I think that we should, in our hearts, we should be prepared to fall on our face before God, not thinking that he's our buddy, buddy, the pie in the sky. He is the almighty, supreme, sovereign ruler of the universe who was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. He deserves our respect. We find that they are before the Lamb. The word here simply indicates that now as they are on their faces, they are face down, they are prostrate before Him. And now this word, they have turned their eyes. However they are able to do that, whether they are lifting up their heads enough to be able to see through and having a gaze at the object, they are looking at the object of their worship now. And they are holding something. Like Gideon of old, do you remember the account? He takes thousands of soldiers and he says, well, I still can't do it, but Lord, whatever you've called me, I'm going to do it. God says, you have too many soldiers. Maybe I didn't hear you right, Lord. Yeah, you have too many soldiers. Uh, Anybody here afraid? Yep, okay, 22,000 just went home. Boy, we got a problem. (laughs) This isn't getting any better. So he says, take them down to the water and the ones that are actually dipping their hand in the water and lifting it up so they're still scanning, they're keeping their eyes, looking out for the enemy. Those are the ones that you use. Wait a minute. Lord, 9,700 of them just put their face in the water. Yeah, send them home. With those 300, you're going to give them two items. They're going to carry a ram's horn or a shofar and a small face that is filled with a small oil-filled lamp, and you're going to see me do what I do best, and that is destroy my enemies. Gideon didn't even have to lift a sword. But these elders, these living creatures, they're holding a harp. The word is only found four times in the New Testament. Three of them are right here in Revelation. And it refers to a stringed instrument on which the praises of God are sung in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but I love classical music. I love good classical music. I can listen to harps or guitars or pianos. I can listen to concertos. I can't tell you all of the it, the, the little nitty-gritty bits and parts of music, but I can tell you when I hear something that elevates my soul and my spirit... Now think about what that would be like in heaven with creatures who have no sin, who are playing praises to God. And not not only is heaven being filled with the praises of God, but the entire universe. We find these golden bowls. The golden bowls feature prominently in the outpouring of God's wrath. These golden bowls are only found in the book of Revelation and we find them 12 different times. And I want you to understand something. When we get books like this and we encourage you to pray, it's because I believe what the Bible says, God takes seriously the prayers of his saints. It's encouraging to me when I hear people tell me, Hey, for the first time in my life, I've prayed 15 minutes. i prayed, and it's not about the number. It's about the fact that you have gotten past yourself in wonderful communion with the Father. I 
Revelation chapter 15, verse 7. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Let's prepare to conclude this message this morning. We find that these bowls are full of incense. The word to be full of incense means actually to swell out or to be full Psalm 141 verse 2 says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. We have an Old Testament precedent with this. In other words, when we get to the New Testament and Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, pray without ceasing and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The Father delights in your prayers. Again, I've shared this with you before, but but if you're going to come up to me, if you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I would challenge you and encourage you to change your vocabulary. But if you come up to me and you say, would you pray for me? How about, would you pray with me? Because you as a priest of God as well have the right and the privilege to be able to walk directly into the throne of God and say, Father, I'm here. The psalmist knew that incense was offered by the priest twice a day and he asked that God will accept his prayers as incense which represented purification and holiness to the Lord. One commentary noted this, quote, there is a relationship between the efficacy of prayer and one's dedication to the Lord. Prayer is not a last second emergency tool for those who have entertained no interest in knowing and being obedient to the will of God, end quote. prayers of the saints they're full of incense they're full or these 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 this incense is the prayer of the saints the indication john is giving here is that the bowls will continue the verb here they will continue to be filled until it is time for god to send judgment on the earth this year we've been praying through two countries a week the Bible says and reminds us in this passage that we are going to look at the song of the Lamb, Lord willing, next week, that there are going to be some from every tribe and tongue and people and nation who are worshiping around the throne. You and I must be praying for them. We must be. We can't pray with the Apostle John in John or in Revelation chapter 22. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, if we're not prepared for evangelism if we're not praying for the role of missions across the world. Here's our final application this morning. If you're a true believer today, then be encouraged. Be encouraged in and through the worship of the Lamb. You know, you, you came this morning and the first song that we sang, it was, in my estimation, I would say we messed up. We botched the job. We had one job to do and we blew it. You think God sees it that way? No. Do you think when we're getting down on our knees or on our face on a Wednesday or on a Sunday morning and, and we're praying and we're not exactly sure what to say and, and we maybe have some ums and, and, and ahs, do you think God sees that as a botched job? 
We are called to persevere in our faith, knowing that one day even creation will be released from the bondage of sin. This week there have been volcanoes, earthquakes, all kinds of natural disasters around the world. One day there will be a new heaven and a new earth and there won't be any more earthquakes. There won't be any more sin. There won't be any death. There will be no sign, no crying, no tears. All those things will be passed away. Romans chapter 8, Paul says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Do you like what you see when you look in the mirror? Do you like watching yourself get older? We were talking, we were mentioning Nyla. I just want to have a show of hands. How many of you were not alive September the 11th, 2001? Oh my goodness. You know, the last 21 years passed like that. Like a vapor. And if you don't think that the next 21 years or whatever time it is that God leaves you on this earth, if you don't think it's going to pass quickly, look at these little ones. Aramie, you're eight, nine? Nine. I can remember being nine. It was just like last week. It really wasn't last week. (laughs) But it feels like it was last week. And I can't go back and live... What if, what if, what if? I have to trust that God in his sovereign providence has brought me to this point today. You are not here by accident. You are here because this is where God wants you to be on September the 4th, 2022. Do not despair, dear Christian. The lamb who died to atone for your sins is alive forevermore. The least that you and I can do is to offer him our praise and our worship. In conclusion, as the hymn writer wrote, have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in his grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Let's pray. Father, we have mentioned two countries earlier, Eswatini and the country of Ethiopia. They are many hours ahead of us, and it is quite possible that there are believers in those countries who have fallen down together on their faces to worship the Lamb of God. And now here, almost at the end of a Sunday, as the time zones come and go, One day after another, we are here to worship you. We are here as it were to fall on our faces and say, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. You, O Lord, alone have the ability to do what you promised in your word that you would do. And one of those things is that you will come back for us, for a bride who has made herself ready. The prayers of the saints as they go up, as we have learned this morning. Oh, 
Oh, what a what an encouragement to know that our prayers go up before you as incense and and even those brothers and sisters maybe who are languishing in jail this morning or in prisons around the world where by some estimates there are, there are up to a million Christians who are persecuted and killed every single year. Lord, one day all of that will come to an end. As the saints have prayed and we read earlier in Revelation, Oh Lord, how long? How long will this continue? Oh Lord, come and bring forth your justice upon this wicked world. But Lord, ours is not to judge. Ours is to pray for the redemption for our friends, our family, our neighbors, our colleagues, that they too will come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing the horror that awaits them. Thank you for this wonderful passage in Revelation where we have been able to see the standing lamb. May we remember each and every day that he watches us. And that as the psalmist said in Psalm 23, because the Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing that we have need of. We have no wants in our life, and one day, some sooner than others, we are going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and we need to be prepared to wake up on the other side of eternity knowing that Jesus Christ is our Savior. We ask this in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand with me. And we are going to sing one final hymn this morning. It's number 197, Rejoice, the Lord is King. And then we will have our benediction. But before we sing... I would like to remind you that if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ or if you have any spiritual concerns in your life, I will be up here at the front and you are welcome to come and talk to me. We would love to be able to take the scriptures and show you the truth of how you can know today that you can have eternal life. So this morning again, hymn number 197, Rejoice, the Lord is King. Your Lord and King adore, rejoice, give thanks and sing, and triumph evermore. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice, again I say, rejoice. Rejoice, the Lord is King, your 